I'm John David Bennett, Dean of Curricular Innovation at Mercersburg Academy, and this is the Berg's Eye View podcast. In this episode of our Making a Difference series, I interview Katie Barnes, class of 2006. Katie is the head of People for Zipline, an extraordinarily innovative company that uses drone technology to deliver needed medicines to remote places around the world. In our conversation, Katie tells stories about the missions and people of Zipline. She explains why she prefers the title Head of People instead of Director of Human Resources, and she reminisces about three adults from her time at the Academy, a teacher, a coach, and a good listener in Trailer Hall who still influence her life and work today. So Katie, thank you for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me. Clearly, Zipline is creating hope where circumstances would otherwise seem unworkable. Can you tell us about the vital work that Zipline's doing? What Zipline does, and I don't think that, you know, I'll explain why a lot of people have a misunderstanding, but of, of what the company is, I think a lot of folks get distracted by the drones, but we are building critical infrastructure that provides instant and and equal access to vital medical products. And I think about there's kind of two components. One component of that infrastructure are autonomous drones that we've designed, manufacture, and we operate. And that's, those, those drones are what fly products to the patients and the doctors and our customers to get it to them exactly where they need it and when they need it. And another key part of that equation are our fulfillment and health system integration systems. And those two things, along with what I find to be an incredibly talented and wonderful team, have been disrupting healthcare supply chains for the last six years. And we currently operate at scale in Rwanda and Ghana, and just recently closed exciting contracts in, to start operating in the U.S., in Nigeria, and in Japan. And Japan will be an interesting partnership with Toyota, where they'll actually operate our hardware. Yeah, what, what attracted you to the company? How did you end up there? I grew up actually in Mercersburg. I think that a big part of my childhood, it, it was pretty, it wasn't the kind of childhood that I realized a lot of people had when I started going to the academy. You know, folks would take really elaborate vacations and go abroad. You know, for me, it was like, I just went to Ocean City and maybe occasionally right. we would drop down to Florida. Um, and so it wasn't until when I started at the academy and then college and, and going abroad a little bit, I realized how many people in the world just didn't have the same kind of access to the things that you and I, you know, that make our life really comfortable every day. And so for me, it was sort of this confluence of a lot of different things and the leadership team at, at Zipline was one where I knew I would be really empowered to have conviction and to make changes and have a big impact. And I knew right away during, especially during the interview process that I could trust them. And that's, you know, that was four years ago and I've never regretted it. So everything that I thought I would be able to do during the interview process has become true. And then so much more than I could have ever expected. So your, your role there is as head of people, which mm-hmm. that's, human, that's human resources. When, when you and I talked last, you mentioned the reason why you prefer the title. It, yeah. So I, I think that calling humans resources just feels icky. <laughs> um, so I, I think people, and it, it makes sense. It, it 
you, you kind of go through your day always trying to do right by the team and the people that make up Zipline. Um, you know, they are they are what make up the company. And so to refer to them as human resources, um, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, icky is probably the best way I can describe it. No offense to people who like love that phrase. It just doesn't really sit well with me. Yeah, and so uh, while you're at the Academy, who are some of the people whose uh, influence stays with you and perhaps informs the work you're doing now? This is a fairly easy question for me. There are three people who I think about a lot. And one of them I doubt knows this, but um, Emily Parsons, she, she was pretty transformative for me for a lot of different reasons. I think that to her core, she focuses on removing roadblocks for people and, and helping people who maybe didn't start off life in the same place as she did get access to the things to, you know, really grow and, and reach their full potential. And so I remember a class that she helped me um, participate in. We sort of could design our own curriculum. And so she and I are both from the Mercersburg area and I decided to do local history and learning about black history in Mercersburg, which is like, you know, not often spoken about was one of the most inspiring um, experiences of my life and learning about the cemetery in, in town that most people don't drive by, aren't aware of, and and that the fifty there are many members of the fifty fourth Massachusetts are buried there. Um, you know, it's just it, she she opened my eyes to a lot of things, and I think about her often. Is that around uh, the time that that Chris Frisbee was was uh, restoring the yeah, cemetery? Yeah, I I did my senior partner or my senior project with him, and then the other the the second person is was actually my lacrosse coach. Um, his name Schaefer Reese. I think that, and, and to be honest, he's to today, he's like family to me. I think the impact that he had on my life is that he, he gave me this, he sort of has inspired me to have confidence and conviction and to never live with regrets. Hmm. And I often, I often don't know what I'm doing, especially in this role. You know, there, <laughs> mm-hmm. there aren't, there's no playbook for an HR leader who is building, working closely with everyone to build a company that expands around the globe and operates in the parts of the world where we operate and trying to build the technology and the service that we're trying to build. I mean, there's truly, if you really think about it, I don't, it's, it would be hard to find a, or to, to kind of think of a more complicated business. And so I, in many ways, you have to be a little bit crazy to sign up for it. And I think that, you know, Schaefer through coaching me and just giving me the confidence that I still carry today has been profoundly impactful in my life. Um, and always will always be really grateful for him. And then the third person that comes to mind is tied closely to Schaefer. Um, her name is Lindsay Tanton. She actually passed away two years ago and she worked in trailer. Um, I think the thing that I've learned from Lindsay and very much, you know, probably more than even Emily and Schaefer plays a role in my day to day is how she always sought to understand people and would listen so intently. And I actually think that, you know, there aren't a lot of great listeners in the world. Like it's a, it's a rare thing to find. And, you know, when you talk to Lindsay, you just felt like she, 
was so focused on you and not distracted by what else was going on. And it could be a, the silliest conversation, but she was so focused on it. And in my role, you have to listen to people. You have to, you know, focus on them. You can't be, you know, engaging, but then your mind is drifting and you're thinking about another problem, especially with, with the different cultures that we have across zip line from the, you know, the, the, the countries that we, that make up the company. Um, I think having that like active listening skill set is pretty unique and one that if it wasn't for her, I don't think that I would have been inspired to practice every day. Is there an especially memorable story of a zipline delivery that captures the company or what the, or what the company is able to do? As I tell you this story, I can hear my daughter screaming in the background, which is kind of related, but I, I joined Zipline when I was five months pregnant. And so, you know, coming back to my point earlier about how complicated it is and how crazy it is doing that when you're five months pregnant, <laughs> signing up for that when you're five months pregnant is a whole, whole other level. Um, and I, so I had my daughter and, and I was the first woman to actually go out on maternity leave. We were pretty small at the time and, uh, shape, uh, sorry, Keller, um, was, who's the CEO of Zipline was pretty adamant on me, even though I was so new taking the time that I needed to really set the precedent that we wanted to set for, for mothers at Zipline and parents at Zipline and and so I had that time. And so it was about six months where I was pretty much with Piper every single day, just her and I, um, my husband was there for a little while, but then had to go back to work. And so I would even argue that she's three, she's a little over three now, but those six months are the closest that she and I ever were. And we were, you know, really, really tight. And so when she was about say like 10 or 10 months, maybe nine months, I took my, I took a trip to Rwanda. It was my first trip and I left her here. <clears throat> and, you know, after spending that amount of time with her and being so close and nursing her and for the first time, like leaving her for the first time overnight, right. Which is hard for many mothers, but to, to leave her for about two weeks while I traveled to to Africa was especially difficult. So I wanted to give you that context because when I got to Rwanda on the first day, it was, you know, a typical morning. It was, there was dew on the ground, the sunset and the sunrises in Africa are mind blowingly beautiful. I mean, it is, they're, they're wild. And so I woke up and I just knew that that day was going to have I just felt something about that day. I, I, I can't explain it, but I just, I, I did. And I was really raw coming off of um, the flight and obviously really, you know, struggling being away from Piper. And I got to the distribution center and the teams were starting operations and there was a plane on the launcher and we weren't launching it. And that's not normal, right? You know, when you get to our distribution centers right now, we're, we're doing 200 deliveries a day per distribution center. So they're just, you know, flying off the launcher one after the other. <clears throat> and that morning it was, it was grounded. The, the plane was grounded because we had just released a, a new version of the software the night before that had bugs in it. 
And so we couldn't, we couldn't actually get that delivery off the launcher, but the team was acting more acting differently than I would have expected. Right. Like it wasn't like it was a routine delivery. I knew that it wasn't, it wasn't a resupply delivery. And so I quickly learned that it was an emergency delivery and it was meant to go to the furthest hospital away. And it was a pediatric unit of their pediatric units of blood on board. So I immediately, I mean, I just got chills telling you this story. I immediately thought about Piper and then thought about the mother who was on the other end of that, just mm-hmm. desperately waiting for the blood to get there for, to, to save her child's life. And so I was helpless in that moment. You know, it would have taken, it was a rainy season. It would have taken probably 14 plus hours to drive it there. And there was just really, we just felt hopeless. And so not much to my surprise though, the team on the ground took total ownership over the problem and did what they needed to do to wake up the software engineering leader, Ryan, um, in the middle of the night in California to roll back to the old version of the software, re-release it. And within 10, 15 minutes of getting a hold of him, they were able to get a new plane on the launcher and launched it. And we found out later that day that the child had survived. They were suffering from complications due to malaria, which is very common. That moment, honestly, I refer back to it when times get hard, right? Like keeping families whole is so important to me. And that mother actually came by, um, like, I think it might've been a week or two. I wasn't there anymore to thank the team. And it's, I'm so inspired by our operations teams every day that how hard they work and what they do to serve our customers. It's not uncommon to see pictures of them in their pajamas in the middle of the night because they got an emergency delivery for snake antivenom and and they, you know, ran their butts off to get to the distribution center in time to, to make those deliveries. There are 500 people around the world working for Zipline, more than 500. Mm-hmm. And, but all the teams are made up completely of people who live locally. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds like it must be a philosophical choice. Yeah, it's, I think that's an, it's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of companies around the world take different strategies to how they build out their teams. I think that the one thing that I learned, so Zipline has a really strong value system and we have five core values and we really think that those are the values, you know, the way that we come up with them is when you look at somebody who's had a huge impact at Zipline and you describe them, oftentimes you use our values to describe that person and who they are and their character. So when we were thinking about that and growing teams locally, in the countries that we operate when i interview people for our values in the like in the rwandan or ghanaian context i don't know how that translates if that makes Mm -hmm. sense right like what servant leadership in the united states is maybe translated very differently in different parts of the world and so it was pretty obvious to me especially when we launched in ghana and um you know i was borderline passing on, no, I was, I was passing on people who the teams there felt had a strong conviction that they were extraordinary talent. And so 
that was like the first eye-opening thing. And then I saw it come to fruition, right? Like we hired people who I would have probably on my own passed on who have now grown into global roles and are leading projects that, you know, just you, you, I don't think most people would expect. I think that those teams are often underestimated and that is, you know, I, I, yeah, I think that, you know, hiring local teams and making sure that our values are appropriately and, you know, adapted and translated is a core part of that strategy. And then to be totally honest, the level of conviction and passion and dedication that the teams on the ground who grew up within those contexts have for our mission, you know, in Ghana, I'll never forget when we launched our first distribution center, we all came together after the launch, which was, you know, stressful, but really successful and a ton of fun and had sort of this impromptu moment together where everybody on the Ghanaian team there that day went around and there's members of the U.S. team there as well to talk about uh, why they joined Zipline and every single one of them had a story, whether it was their, them and their family or their best friend that did not have access to medicine when they need it, when they needed it. And the, the just intrinsic motivation that you're going to get from a team that felt it and lived it themselves versus, you know, flying in a bunch of expats. It's just, you can't compare it. And I see that every day, the just pride and ownership that they take over bringing the service to their country. As the head of people for Zipline, you've you've mentioned uh, that the priority is to build a strong, healthy culture. I imagine that the philosophy that we just discussed is, is part of that. But what else does that mean? One of the things that I think about a lot is there were de- there were definitely years where it wasn't. I wasn't sure if Zipline was going to be successful. Right, like mm-hmm. it. I think even when I first joined, when I came back from maternity leave, it wasn't, we were only operating in Rwanda. We hadn't even expanded the contract in Rwanda. We were operating one distribution center and it was taking every, every ounce of every single person at the company to make that work. And so that just didn't feel like it was going to scale super well. So I wasn't sure how it was going to go, but you know, now I think that that we're operating seven distribution centers and serving 40 million people, it does feel like we're actually going to be successful. So when we, when we get to 10, 15 years from now and look back and feel like we've had success to me, what matters the most is when you look under the hood and you really look under the hood. And I mean, like, how did we treat one another? How did people Hmm. feel who were on the operations teams? Did they feel like, they had access to the table? Did they feel like when they got to the table that they were able to speak and that their voice was heard and considered? And so to me, it is that that is really the thing that I anchor on because it's so complicated. You know, it, it, there's a lot that you can kind of get distracted by in terms of building a strong culture. But I would say that's that's my North Star. And I think in order to do that, you have to know what it takes to build really strong teams. And that is anything from how do we, how do we scope responsibilities? How do we set up interview and recruiting processes? How do we build diverse tops of funnels so that we can see and and interview the best candidates in the world? You know, 
do we have the courage to, to pass on someone who's good to wait for someone who's great? You know, do we know how to onboard? Can we empower people? Can we give them all of the tools that they need to be successful? And then, and then can we level everyone up? You know, can we, and, and that I think is probably the thing that makes me the most proud. And I think about Emily a lot when I think about this, but for us, the most inspiring work that I've been able to be around, and I'm certainly not the person responsible for this, but it's our internal opportunities. And I think that that is one of the most powerful ways that Zipline can bring diversity to the to the entire company is actually providing opportunities for our operators to learn and grow and to step into stretch roles that they may never have had the opportunity to do. Um, just recently, one of our fulfillment operators actually stepped into a role on the recruiting team. And she said to us that it was her calling, right? Like who knows what she what her path would have looked like had she not joined Zipline. But now she's in this global role that is totally translatable and she's kicking butt and she's in, she is extraordinary. Georgina Wilson, somebody who joined as one of the first flight operators in Ghana, has gone on to lead entire distribution center drops in Ghana and has gone on now and is the person leading our expansion into Nigeria. And there's so many stories that I can share, but that to me is the, the most important part of how do we really build a strong culture? It's how do the teams that are serving our customers feel at the end of the day? That was Katie Barnes, class of 2006. Thank you to Jim Bradley and Tim Crouch for help producing this podcast. And special thanks to Brian Morgan, class of 07, and Maddie Norris, class of 21, for writing and recording the music. If you know a Mercersburg graduate who's making a difference and you'd like to nominate them for an appearance on the Berg's Eye View podcast, send an email to alumni at mercersburg.edu. Thank you for listening.